Welcome to Solo 2.0, an empowerment podcast hosted by two sisters living in LA, making their way through the health and wellness world. I'm Ryan Birch. And I'm Jess Dukan. Each week, we're committed to bringing you conversations with risk-taking, resilient guests from diverse backgrounds, interviews with experts on controversial or misunderstood topics that will expand your perspective, and lively roundtable discussions with our mom, hormone health educator, Candace Birch. We're driven to provide the support and motivation needed to ignite growth, confidence, and purpose so you can step into that 2.0 version of you. We can't wait to dig into these conversations and hope you'll join us every week for a new episode. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Solo 2.0 podcast. Today you have just me, Ryan Birch. I'm the co-founder of Your Hormone Balance. And my sister is Jess Sukin. She's a health coach at Body Bliss by Jess. But she is out today. She's actually heading to Santa Barbara for a couple days with her husband. And I'm leaving for Portland later today for a big 2020 family business meeting. So we didn't really have time to do this intro together, but also... I'm really the one that has struggled with gut issues. Jess has had headaches and migraines, which will be another episode, which is so fun that we both have had these issues. But, um, you know, I've really had it my whole life, and I wanted to take this opportunity to share my journey, getting control over these symptoms and finding relief. Uh, We do have a conversation with Dr. Bryant, who is a functional doctor uh, that I worked with just over a year ago when I was going through lots of health issues. So we thought he would be a great person to educate us on all the different types of gut issues and solutions that exist. And that will be right after this intro that we get into our conversation with him. But I did just want to share a little bit more about my personal journey first. Uh, but before that, more about Dr. Bryant. He is a California licensed naturopathic doctor practicing in Silver Lake, Los Angeles. He provides integrative medical care with a focus on skin health, gut health, hormonal health, and autoimmune conditions. Dr. Bryant uses several natural treatments before recommending pharmaceutical intervention, such as therapeutic nutrition, lifestyle medicine, targeted vitamin and mineral supplementation, herbal medicine, vitamin drips, injections, and much more. But first, as I said, before we get into that interview, I want to get into my personal gut health journey. But I wanted to preface by saying that if you're listening to this and you're dealing with gut issues, which I suspect you are, uh, I feel your pain. It's such a lonely, overwhelming journey. And a lot of people in your life don't always understand. I know that it can be really annoying for friends and family to have to hear that you have a stomachache again or you can't go to the bathroom or have to sit with you at dinner while you struggle to find something to eat, or, you know, you're a pain because you have to eliminate this, that, and the other thing off the thing on the menu. So I I really do feel your pain. I've been there. Uh, It was not easy. I felt very alone. But the good news is that there are a lot of things you can do to feel better. And it really, at this point in my journey, I know that it comes down to finding the right care, uh, you know, having a lot of testing options so you can get to the root and preparing yourself and focusing in on following a plan of action and sticking to it. You know, I talk about it in this episode, but you're the main person that's going to benefit from, you know, doing the work to find relief. And so um, although it can be overwhelming to be told to to do this or take away these foods or 
at the end of the day, you're going to feel better and that's worth, you know, everything. So just to start with my journey and give you some perspective about what's worked with me, I wanted to share that I was a C-section baby, which I've actually heard there's a lot of research around babies that were delivered as a C-section baby being slower to acquire certain types of good bacteria in their gut and therefore having higher levels of potentially problematic bacteria. So I've um, heard from many other people that were C-section babies that they have gut issues. So that's an interesting hypothesis. It's not necessarily like a fact, but maybe if you're someone that is of that same situation that could shed some light and it does make sense. You're not, you know, you're not passing through the vagina as you do um, normally and, and picking up all of that healthy bacteria. So it, it is an interesting thing to think about. But, you know, as, as a, I guess not as a result, but after that, really my whole life, I have struggled with gut issues. Um, just something that I really got used to. So, um, you know, despite my mom being a health educator my entire life, we only had organic hormone-free foods even before anyone was talking about hormones um, in foods and just had a really healthy kitchen. I always had problems. And my mom and dad were always so concerned and wondering, you know, did they do something wrong? But it really, I think, is the same for many of us. It's just something that develops, um, whether or not from from birth or just from the foods that we're eating that are highly processed, um, which wasn't the case for me, but there are so many reasons we can end up in this place. Uh, but I think that many of us do normalize these symptoms and just get used to it. And that was the case for me through all of high school, college. I would just always have stomach aches that I'd be complaining about. My main thing was constipation for sometimes weeks, um, bloating, gassy, you know, all of that, which is so fun to talk about and share. But I really do want to get real because so many of us struggle with this and it's just need needs to be talked about. So uh, basically, I didn't really do anything really dramatic about it until my first job out of college. So I had moved to LA, got what was my quote unquote dream job as an event producer for a high end, uh, not sorry, for a event production agency. And I was on the road constantly traveling I was just living a really high-stress lifestyle. I didn't have the ability to make my own foods. I would get so anxious around the events because they were massive events for really, really massive clients that had high expectations, and there would always be things that go wrong. And in events, you can't you can't prevent that, and you just have to be prepared for all the variables and to put out fires constantly. And for me, that gave me anxiety that made it so that I couldn't sleep. Then I would have gut issues all day long. I was just completely uncomfortable 24 seven. And it was not the right fit for me, but I was so deep in it. And I was kind of caught up in like the lifestyle of it being, you know, I had a lot of travel and there were a lot of perks. I was on the Red Bull team and I got to do and be at a lot of cool things, but I just wasn't really ready to, to take charge and change my life at that point. So I, you know, when I wasn't traveling, I would go into the office every day and have stabbing stomach pains. Um, it was really hard to be at work, but I had no choice, obviously. Um, and basically just the problems were just spiraling. And so it really wasn't until I quit that I started getting a handle on it and started seeing some specialists, but even that was the beginning of a long journey. So 
I, first of all, had terrible insurance, as most of us do, out of college. It was the cheapest and the worst. And I went to a doctor in this, like, dirty place. I remember, like, all the lights were off. It was real not welcoming. And uh, they were just very, like, put their hands up, said, you know, you have IBS. Basically, you need to eliminate every food group, which was just so heart sinking. I'm sure many of you have been told that it's like no corn, no gluten, no dairy, um, you know, this, that, and the other and take it all away and, and you'll be better. There's, there was no treatment plan. Um, there was nothing other than that and sent me on my way. So then I decided to go to a gastroenterologist, which is often suggested to really, you know, hone in on, on, on the gut specific problems because primary care doctors don't always have all of that knowledge. But even this gastroenterologist told me that, you know, going to the bathroom or not being able to go to the bathroom for a full week is, is actually very normal. And then he told me many of my clients, you know, don't go to the bathroom for, for weeks. And, you know, it's, we all vary from person to person. And I just felt like this is crazy. There's no way. And of course he suggested a prescription drug for constipation, which sounded great to me because I was really struggling with that. But I knew that I wanted to try to go the more natural route. I have not been perfect on my journey of going the natural route always. It's not easy. But I have been lucky that, you know, my mom raised us on everything homeopathic, natural. Um, that was just, you know, something that has been ingrained in me to to try to go that route if possible. No judgment on anyone that goes the other route. But I just knew, like, at that young age of, you know, 24 or whatever I was, I didn't want to start taking prescription pills to be going to the bathroom. So I'm glad I didn't go that route. Um, but I decided to go see a different gastroenterologist. I had changed my insurance, um, to Kaiser. I've, I've actually had a lot of issues with Kaiser too, um, which is a whole nother podcast. Um, but it, you know, so many of us struggle going from doctor to doctor. And I think that that's so key to not take what they say as final word, because it so often will lead you down the wrong path. And then you, you end up so far from where you should be and what you should be working on because of what one person told you. So anyway, this other gastroenterologist basically said, the only thing that you can do is a colonoscopy. That's the only testing we have. I did the colonoscopy nothing was wrong, nothing was abnormal, which of course I was bummed about, which is funny because you really don't want something to show up on there. It's ideal for it to not, but when you're searching for answers and you're not getting any answers, you know, you are desperate. So from there, still didn't have any information, still dealing with the same problems. I went to a nutritionist. She was the first person to suggest the FODMAP diet, uh, which we will talk about later in this episode with Dr. Bryant, but it is essentially an elimination diet from highly fermentable foods or carbs that can cause some of these severe gut issues. And that was really the first time that I started noticing relief. And I think even Thomas, my fiance, had found some blogs that were suggesting it as well. And so he might have actually been the first, but working with the nutritionist, I actually listened. You know how we tend to not always listen to our loved ones that encourage us to do things that we should be doing. So with this nutritionist, I uh, got this book called IBS Free at Last by Patsy Katsos. She has a great blog, IBS Free at Last, um, lots of recipes, lots of advice. I will put that in the show notes. Um, and that book included a two-week elimination diet um, that really just one by one, very specifically, takes away 
foods and ingredients that are known to cause, you know, this, these sort of symptoms. And it's, it's, it's interesting because it's not the foods that you would often have suspected. And so though much of the time I would be going around thinking, oh, it's probably, I don't know, the cashews I'm eating or the pistachios I'm eating, um, that are causing my gut issues, which actually I think pistachios are a high FODMAP. But basically my point is there are things like broccoli and cauliflower on this plan that can be really bad for you if you have SIBO. And even though, or it not at that, at this point I didn't know I had SIBO, but if you have gut issues, there's certain healthy foods that can make it worse. So it can often be things that you weren't expecting. But the point is, a lot of times it can take up to three days for your body to fully process a food. So you do have to follow an elimination diet the right way to really make sure that there's no extra variables or things that you've eaten that can kind of sway the result and confuse you. So I really suggest following that or following a elimination diet uh, step by step from you know a proper resource. But I do recommend Patsy Katzos. But even after starting this program or this diet, it really was just diet alone. And I still wasn't feeling that great. So I was still up and down emotional roller coaster going out to dinner with Thomas on this FODMAP diet, basically ordering like a beef patty and tomatoes and causing a scene with the waiter and like basically getting in an argument because it was just so uncomfortable. And I think that that's a whole nother side of this that is really hard. And and I did mention that in the beginning, but just like people not understanding and you have to find your comfortable wording for, you know, expressing what you can and cannot have. If you're at a function, if you're at dinner and feeling more confident ordering from a server and not making it really awkward, which is something I was doing. So that's just a side note, but basically I was just doing food alone and feeling really down. So my sister was getting into really into the wellness world at this time. She had just become a health coach. She had gone to School of Integrative Nutrition and was just telling me about, you know, functional doctors. And my mom had told me my whole life, but again, you don't always listen. Uh, so she had mentioned that functional doctors really get to the root of the symptoms you're experiencing while traditional or Western doctors tend to focus on treating the symptoms. And that's why they'll give you a pill for this or, you know, just focus one-on-one when so much of the time it really is a holistic picture. It really is that like you're having adrenal issues and gut issues at the same time for a reason, not just separate. So that was finally the push from both of them to to find a functional doctor in Santa Monica and really just bite the bullet. Because unfortunately with a lot of, you know, our insurance covered doctors, part of the problem is that the testing that you need is just not covered by insurance. So doctors don't offer it. Hospitals don't offer it. And they, um, but you will find that going to a functional doctor, yes, you do have to pay out of pocket most of the time. And yes, the testing is out of pocket, but you have to identify like what it, what it's worth in your life. And for me, after a lifetime of issues, after five years of seeing doctors and being completely discouraged, I was ready. I was still broke. Um, but I came up with the money and that's when my life changed. And the first doctor I saw was Dr. Joy Botso. She's in Santa Monica. She's great. I recommend looking her up. She was the first one that really went through all the different symptoms I was experiencing. I also had some yeast issues, adrenal issues. um, And she just was really focused on not treating everything separately, but looking at the whole picture, putting into place a plan of attack that included testing. And she actually didn't focus so much on foods. She wanted to focus on testing and like, 
figuring out how we could relieve symptoms through a combination of herbs and um, other methods to uh, to 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 soothe my symptoms. But I will talk about how I continue to to modify my foods and use supplements to find relief, which is also a big piece of the picture. But she started by having me do a lot of tests. And I'm just going to focus on the two that were most eye-opening for my gut health. We do talk about this with Dr. Bryant in this episode, so you'll get some more information than what I'm sharing. But basically, I did the comprehensive stool test, which is a three-day stool test, which is really fun to do. Um, putting, putting your poop in a bag and sticking it in your refrigerator, it's great for the relationship. Um, no, but it's necessary. And uh, you get so much information out of it. It really gives you a full breakdown of your microbiome. And so, like I said, it's an at-home test. You send it to a lab. When you get the res- results, it gives you this breakdown of everything from bacteria to pathogens to yeast to inflammatory inflammatory markers. So working with a functional doctor is going to be really helpful in understanding what all of that information means because it is a lot and it's a little confusing to try to figure out on your own. The second test that was changed my world was the SIBO test. And um, that is a breath test. It's very interesting. And uh, that is something that you you do in one day over a two or three hour period, depending on what your doctor has suggested. But you basically do a specific diet for 24 hours the day before the test. Then you drink a lactulose solution, which is like a sugar solution the day of the test. So there's a little bit of fasting the day of the test before you begin. You drink this sugar solution and then you breathe into this device over a two hour or three hour period of time. And every 20 minutes, um, the time kind of goes up in increments. You are breathing into this um, device. I don't really know how to explain it. But basically, the test is, in the end, measuring how much hydrogen is present in your breath. I believe it also measures methane. And a positive result is really able to tell if you have a small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, which causes that gassing, that bloating, that constipation. It can also cause diarrhea. And what it really means is just that certain foods primarily fermentable carbohydrates, will not be well digested by your small intestine or by your gut. So for me, it was exciting to know. I actually tested positive for both kinds, uh, hydrogen and methane, and uh, it was just immediately on to the plan. So the plan for with uh, Dr. Bozzo was following an antibiotic protocol to kill off the extra bacteria in my small intestine. So uh, I don't know if I said this, but it was SIBO. That, that that breath test is really confirming SIBO. And so she, being a naturopathic doctor, combined herbal, antibacterials, and other soothing supplements to ensure that we are not just killing off all of the good bacteria, that we were really being careful, but to definitely get rid of that extra bacteria. And um, I honestly very soon after was able to introduce a lot of foods back. I did not have, I mean, looking back, that's really the start of my stabbing stomach pains and nightly severe bloating just going away because of that extra bacteria going away. And I did maintain, um, continue to follow a low FODMAP diet. Mostly though, it wasn't the, it was just that I had identified that dairy was an issue for me and certain vegetables were an issue for me. So it was more so just like moving on without those foods, which is really the the whole ideal here. Um, 
And I will say, you know, this is about my specific experience with SIBO, but there are, there are other tests that, you know, can be done based on your symptoms. There are a lot of different gut disorders that may have similar crossover symptoms. So it can be easy to kind of self-diagnose if you're just doing research, but that's why it's so important to really work with a doctor and get the proper testing to confirm exactly what it is. So I also wanted to share some other key things that I did during this process that were helpful for me. So after doing, you know, the, the, the antibacterials and, you know, killing off that extra bacteria, I did, actually, I will say, I'm going to go back a little bit because I want to share some things that I did before I got that that diagnosis because I was feeling so much better after I did all of that. But um, there have been still, since that very first time of getting the diagnosis, there have been recurrences of the SIBO. And so there are things that I've continued to do when recurrences occur and things that I did before I got the diagnosis that I think are just really helpful to know about. And so I think no matter what your gut issue situation is, some of these things can really support you. Uh, They won't replace the treatment plan necessarily, but they can ease or reduce symptoms, which is so important. So I do suggest continuing to track your foods if you're really not sure what the culprit is. I would, you know, use an app that has a food tracker or just use your notes. That's what I do. Noting how you feel after every morning, at night, anytime you have a stomach ache, writing that down, noting your bowel movements, because really it's like you're solving a mystery within yourself. You're collecting evidence to identify the root of these symptoms and to figure out, okay, I'm not feeling so good after this food. Um, Like I said, though, it can take up to three days for your body to process. So that's why doing an actual guided elimination diet is super helpful. Um, But I will say that if you're having really stabbing stomach pains and you're really miserable, I found something called bentonite clay. And that, it has to be the edible kind. Um, it is a, I will put it in the show notes as well. Um, it is basically a clay that you consume that helps kind of pull the gunk from your gut and just help keep your bowels moving. So that has been really helpful for me with constipation and it's all natural. Um, I've never had any sort of bad side effect from that. Although just like, you know, maybe use a tablespoon or less depending on your bowel situation. Apple cider vinegar can be really helpful just a little bit. When I was having a lot of problems, I would make a drink with a little bit of bentonite clay, some apple cider vinegar, and some lemon. And I would actually sweeten it a little with some stevia or whatever you choose, monk fruit. And that was my morning drink, and that really helped me go. Um, You know, there might be a difference of opinion from people that maybe you don't combine all of that. But I think individually, lemon can help. Apple cider vinegar can help. Bentonite clay can help. For me, that's what did it. That's what helped me have regular bowel movements during that time where I didn't have a lot of answers. Magnesium um, is super helpful too for regular bowel movements. There is a brand called Calm. Highly recommend. Great for balancing your hormones as well. Finding the right probiotic is really important. We talk about this with Dr. Dr. Bryant, so I won't go too into detail, but I found out because I had SIBO that the sort of traditional probiotics were actually making my issues worse, and I needed to have a soil-based probiotic. So definitely talk to your doctor about that. 
And again, a doctor who is open to um, some, you know, of these different gut issues and aware of the different testing that's out there and not just giving you what they give every single person. Then I also wanted to mention digestive enzymes. I have used the Now brand. That was something that was helpful to take a couple before meals out because you really are not sure what, what they're putting in your food, even if seems healthy. A lot of times they're adding extras that can be an ingredient that causes your gut flare up. So digestive enzymes can be helpful before a meal. I suggest not getting too carried away with that because I, I just have a theory that they kind of stop working if you're doing it too much. But I have had a lot of help, especially traveling using those. Also, uh, this might not be the best option all the time. But again, vacation, you want to enjoy yourself. I think that the lactate pills can be extremely helpful. I have a big issues with dairy, but if I'm in Italy, I'm going to have gelato. I'm going to have my crepes. I'm going to have everything with dairy every night. And those pills, those lactate pills really did help me. So I wouldn't suggest using it when you're home. You want your stomach to really work naturally for you, but um, definitely great for travel. Now, last thing I wanted to talk about was just ways to be positive. It is so important to keep your mind right during this process. Like I said, it was really a five-year journey for me after I decided I'm going to stop feeling like this and I'm going to start seeing some doctors. And unfortunately, it took that long because I bounced around between so many different people. But um, you just have to know today there are there's a lot more research about gut health. There are a lot of practitioners available to you. The world of functional medicine and naturopathic doctors are, you know, becoming more and more acceptable or accessible and maybe acceptable because I think people are having better and better results with that approach to care that is getting to the root and not just slapping a Band-Aid on symptoms, which you often will find in traditional medicine, which again, if you have a great doctor, that's awesome. But my experience has not been that. And the experiences I've heard of many others with gut health or hormone health is that they really are dismissed without being listened to. So find comfort in knowing that there is so there are so many options out there today. And while this project process can be so overwhelming, you do need to take the steps in your daily life to stay positive. And that can include going on long walks instead of going and killing yourself in the gym because that stress will cause hormone imbalances and cortisol spikes that are also tied to gut issues. Dr. Bryant does touch on the impact of uh, or the connection between hormones and gut health, and it's certainly true. And so you need to listen to your body and slow down. And And I think a big reason that I was having such major flare-ups of my gut when I was at my event job was that I was living such a unhealthy lifestyle and I was traveling all the time and I was stressed to the nines. So you got to focus on slowing down. And I think repeating affirmations like progress, not perfection, or patience is key. I found myself so much of the time just saying patience, Ryan, just have patience. Like you're going to get there. It's going to get better. You have to believe and you will get there, honestly. And focusing on what you can have, you know, going through an elimination diet is not easy. I know that. It can feel like such a bummer. But once you figure out those triggers, you can you feel so much better. And you can just focus on what you can have. And it opens up your world knowing that you don't have to have stomach aches all the time because you know what's causing them. Um, journaling. Always recommend journaling. 
writing down what's not feeling good in your life, writing down what is feeling good, and then for the things that aren't feeling good, writing down a plan of action. Okay, so my gut health is not great. I'm going to look up functional doctors in my area, or I'm going to meet a friend who I know has been through this and hear what she has to say, or I'm going to order the Patsy Katzos book, or I'm going to find some recipes that are for you know low, low FODMAP or people with gut issues. What is the first step for you? And I think journaling really helps us individually create a plan of action and kind of map out a path to being to feeling better. And uh, so, so I always talk about journaling for that reason. But with all of that said, this is getting long. So I do want to do a part two where I give tips for eating out when you're on a specific diet protocol or when you're having gut issues because the reality is that there probably will be some food or food group you might have to eliminate if not for a period of time. But I think what's really helpful are having alternatives to these foods that, you know, swap outs for the foods you can't have anymore. So, you know, I would love to go over my favorite dairy-free, gluten-free, sugar-free products. I have so many in the home, thanks to my sister too, for always helping me find the best brands. You don't have to be eating cardboard and you don't have to be eating flavorless food. You just have to make some tweaks and do some swap outs and it can make a world of difference. So I will do a part two on that. Also, you know, we mentioned in this episode, sometimes you've got to cut out alcohol for a period of time. There are some great alternatives to alcohol. I think um, even considering like a weed gummy or CBD as you know just a mellow calm buzz I love doing that um I've talked about it before it's a great alternative to alcohol and much much healthier in my opinion but I do want to end by just saying that what has worked for me is unique to me I do not suggest doing everything I say but I just wanted to share all of this in hopes that some of it might help and shed some light on what you could do for your own gut health journey and as I said, there are many other gut disorders out there. And just to give you a quick idea, this may include outside of what I've been talking about, SIBO. This can include SIFO, Candida, Leaky Gut, GERD, Gallstones, Celiac, Crohn's, ulcer- Ulcerative Colitis, Irritable Bowel Syndrome, which really is a blanket term uh, for many of these issues, hemorrhoids, and diverticulitis. So keep in mind... N- you know, it's not great to self-diagnose. It's really best if you can focus on getting the right care and testing to get the answers for exactly what you're, what you have and why you're going through this. And again, if you're not getting the answers from traditional doctors, please consider a functional doctor, um, or finding a traditional doctor who does provide more testing, who is going to listen to you. And if it is out of pocket, honestly, what is more worth it than your health and feeling your best? It's really the best investment you can make. So like I said, I am sitting here feeling worlds better than I did four to five years ago when there was so much less information and testing available. So you can do it. You are not alone. There are so many options for you. I hope you find this helpful. DM me um, at Solo 2.0 Podcast or you can find me at my Instagram at Rye. Birch. Uh, if you want to ask any questions, there's so much more I could have said on this. So as always, it's hard to keep it short. But with that, let's get into this conversation around gut health with Dr. Bryant, who has a lot more to share with you. Anyway, so we're just going to jump right okay. into it. Thank you so much for joining us again. We are such a pain that we had to ask you to do this again because of sound issues. So 
We are just grateful that you were willing and welcome back. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. So, you know, my experience has been working with you directly one-on-one as a patient. I came to you during a time where I was dealing with major guts, a flare-up of my SIBO because I had been working with others prior to coming to you. And I had some candida issues. I was dealing with a herniated disc in my back. And you really just attacked it from all angles and talked through every element of what I was going through and helped me feel heard and helped put together a plan of action for me. So, you know, that is an experience that I speak highly of. And I think today there's just a lot of misunderstanding around the difference between a functional doctor and a, you know, maybe traditional Western medicine doctor that maybe your insurance covers. I I think most people go that route because maybe insurance is covering it, but they don't understand how different the care and approach is when working with a functional doctor. So we'd love to start by having you explain actually what a functional or naturopathic doctor does, and then we'd love to get into how you got into that. Yeah, definitely. So a functional or naturopathic doctor is going to be basically an integrated medicine practitioner. So it's a combination of natural and conventional therapies to ensure optimal cellular function. And natural therapies can include therapeutic diet, um, targeted vitamin, mineral, and amino acid supplementation. It can also be herbal medicine. It can be energetic medicine for some practitioners. And then for conventional therapies, for conventional therapies, um, it could involve pharmaceuticals. So naturopathic doctors are trained to pro- provide pharmaceutical care. Um, because that's what, that's what we do. We're trained to do that. <laughs> Great. So can you talk us through, maybe just to give someone an example of they come to you, mm-hmm. what a session includes or involves, how you kind of run a, um, a, a session with a client? Yeah, definitely. So I have two different types of appointments. So the initial appointment is 90 minutes long, then follow-up appointments are 45 minutes long. And compared to your regular visit with like a conventional doctor, um, it's usually five minutes with your doctor. Um, so it's mm-hmm. a lot of time that you get to spend with me. So during the initial appointment, um, it's usually a really in-depth medical intake. And that um, usually includes I trying to identify the root cause. Um, and then after that, some physical exams can take place. Muscle testing can also take place to understand physiological health and energetic well-being. And um, there can also be some lab interpretation as well. If the patient does bring in any labs um, from their past practitioners, so we could look over them. And most of the time, um, doctors don't really explain what the labs mean. So I go line by line with the patient so that they really understand what's going on with their health and wellness. And then for follow-up visits, um, it's more abbreviated, but we still do a pretty long medical intake because I want to see how well treatment's been going. Um, and we also do some physical exams and muscle testing just to, again, ascertain our physiological health and um, energetic well-being. And then treatment plans are usually personalized. So um, treatment plans will have some integrative treatment. Um, so that goes back to the therapeutic diet, all those natural things. It could also have some herbs and some IV vitamins. Um, sometimes it can have pharmaceuticals. Um, And then there's also some personal lab ordering. So the initial appointment, if the patient comes in with no labs or they haven't done labs in a while, we do some personal lab ordering. Um, So depending upon what they come in and what um, underlying root causes, it might be trying to identify, you'll get a specific set of labs for that. But that's basically how appointments go about. Oh, that's it. (laughs) That's all you do. (laughs) Yeah, and I can say as a testimonial, it is very thorough. And uh, like I said, I I really felt hurt and excited leaving there because it's so, so different than uh, all of the doctors that I've seen in all different specialties. So, uh, So it's great work that you do. And we'd love to know how you got into this in the first place. 
Yeah, definitely. So I went to undergrad at San Diego State. And while in San Diego State, I was a pre-med. And I really wanted to go the conventional route, um, go to medical school, and then become an MD. Um, but during that time, I, when I was a pre-med, uh, we had this course where you basically um, get to sit with an endocrinologist or like a cardiologist or like a, a specialist at the end of the day. That's what they are. Um, and it basically, I basically saw that they weren't happy. And one day a naturopathic doctor came in and he was just the brightest person and he loved what he was doing and his patients were doing great. And he was talking about this really awesome thing called platelet-rich plasma therapy or PRP uh, for patients who had joint, um, joint injuries and how fast they would recover and how their quality of life is so much better. And that's how I got into naturopathic medicine. I saw night and day. Uh, so conventional medicine doctors just seemed unhappy and the naturopathic doctor seemed super happy because their patients were doing really great. So how long ago was this that you started your practice? Yeah. So I started my practice in 2017, December, 2017. And I'm really curious cause I know that, you know, you focus primarily on gut health, right? Yeah. So And I think gut health is such a hot topic right now because people are experiencing like rye, you know, really intense stomach problems, digestive issues, really bad cystic acne, even in, you know, their 20s and 30s, which is unpleasant, you know, at that age. And um, migraines, which is something that I was really impacted by and had no idea it had to do with the gut. You know, I was like, oh, there's something wrong with my head. I should get an MRI. Would ne- MRI would never think that it stemmed back to the gut. And so I think we're really dealing with this kind of state of epidemic gut dysfunction, especially in the U.S., So I want to start by having you kind of explain why you think this is and, and what, well, I guess maybe starting with the gut microbiome and what that means, and then going into why you feel that we're in this state of affairs. Yeah, definitely. So the microbiome is basically a medical term for all the viruses, bacteria, parasites, and fungus um, found in the gastrointestinal tract. It's healthy to have parasites, it's healthy to have fungi, it's healthy to have bacteria and viruses in the gut, but they all have to be within um, a percentage of each other. They have to live in harmony with each other so that your gut's working well. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I think that uh, all this gut dysfunction is happening in the U.S. is because of agricultural practices and also of societal things. Um, so with agricultural processes or practices, there's monocrops, GMOs, pesticides. And then with societal things, there's going to be stress um, and the fact that we don't really have the time to sit down with each other and have a meal. Mm-hmm. So with pesticides, it's been shown that it actually increases the um the gaps between uh, intestinal cells, also known as leaky gut. And with hybridization and GMOs, there could be new compounds in plants that the body doesn't really recognize, and it's considered inflammatory to the body and the gut, which then leads to symptoms of leaky gut, or IBS. And like what I said with societal uh, or society, we're just too busy. We can't sit down and have a meal. We can't digest our foods. We're always on the go. Like on the freeway, I see some people having their sandwiches, breakfast sandwiches while they're driving mm-hmm. and also doing makeup at the same time sometimes. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Probably I actually, on their phone too. Yeah. I, I was actually in Italy not that long ago and we were t- my husband and I were eating at a restaurant and just kind of talking about how the culture there is so cool, how everybody 
you know, eats as a family and they spend two to three hours just enjoying their meal and just being together. And it's the social event and it's, it is about the food for sure, but it's also so much about spending that time together and you eat so slowly and everything's coursed out. And the server, we were asking the server, we're like, do you ever see people walking down the street or driving in their cars and eating a meal? And he was like, no, people do that in America. It's like, yeah, every single second of every day you see it. So such a good point. But moving on, I would say you did mention a few different factors. So stress being a huge one and obviously the way that our foods are now um, made. So can you, well, can you go back to what something you said about IBS? You talked about leaky gut and IBS, and I would love to know what stem, what's at the root of both of those things, because I think that not everybody understands that IBS and leaky gut are intertwined. And mm-hmm. does it all stem from the food that you put in your body? Yeah, definitely. So leaky gut is basically when so gastrointestinal cells are supposed to be very close to each other. There are supposed to be no gaps between them. And when there's inflammation in the gut, that causes gaps to take place, and that's leaky gut. Or um, it's also called metabolic endotaxemia. That's what it's also called. Um, But uh, so leaky gut and IBS are pretty much tied together. So IBS, there are a variety of root causes. uh, So that could involve... Uh, inflammatory foods, so diet, food intolerances, it could also be eating habits. We talked about this earlier. So when you're eating too fast, there's suboptimal digestion, there could also be some pancreatic deficiency, a low stomach acid due to various things. There could be SIBO, which could cause leaky gut and IBS. There could be SIFO or small intestinal fungal overgrowth, uh, which is candida, and that could cause leaky gut or IBS. There could also be um, gastrointestinal parasites, mold biotoxin illness, stress and anxiety could play a role, low thyroid can play a role. And for a lot of people, uh, they don't really know what IBS is. Um, so they're ex- usually experiencing bloating, but that's one of the symptoms. Uh, so the actual diagnostic criteria uh, is recurrent abdominal discomfort um, from bloating happening on average at least one day per week in the last three months with symptoms of changes to abdominal pain um, when you have abdominal movement, changes to stool, stool frequency, or changes to stool appearances, such as when you look at the Bristol scale and when somebody's experiencing diarrhea or constipation. Yeah. So in my case, I went to a gastroenterologist who told me that not being able to go to the bathroom for a couple of weeks was very normal and Mm -hmm. basically just dismissed my concerns. And there was no testing other than a colonoscopy there. I was told by other doctors, you know, no corn, no gluten, no dairy, just there were no answers. It was this blank. IBS was a blanket term. And so it wasn't until I worked with a functional doctor that, that I found out about testing. So can you tell us about some of the tests that you might use to diagnose or get to the root of what exactly is causing this discomfort? Yeah. So there's going to be comprehensive naturopathic blood work. Uh, so that's going to include a variety of things. So there's complete blood count, com- comprehensive metabolic panel, lipids, inflammatory markers, blood sugar markers, a full thyroid panel. That's really important, especially if people are experiencing constipation. Most doctors just check TSH, but you really want to check TSH, free T3, free T4, and all the antibodies against the thyroid to see what the root cause is. And also some vitamin D. Beyond that, there's going to be some comprehensive stool analysis to really understand digestive capacity. So a comprehensive stool analysis will tell us if you're able to break down uh, 
if you're able to break down proteins or how much fat you're able to break down because sometimes those could be the root cause of IPS symptoms. Um, but the comprehensive stool analysis also looks at bacteria populations, potential pathogens, worms, parasites, candida, and so much more. It's a really cool test. And if the comprehensive stool analysis does show any changes to bacteria populations, that is when a lactulose breath test is recommended. So a lactulose breath test is basically a test for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or SIBO, and it's the gold standard. And a patient basically consumes lactulose, and they have to breathe in the tubes for two to three hours to see if there's any rises in methane or hydrogen. And once we see um, any of those gases go up, then it basically tells us how we could treat it even better. Okay. Do you find that – I'm curious because I know, Rye, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when you were kind of describing your process, at one point you were going through the Candida protocol and you were going on that diet and then you did the FODMAP diet for SIBO and then there's a few different I guess that, that you tried. So that's kind of like part two of this. It's right. like once you've identified what is the root – um, actually, before we ask that question, Jess, yeah. if you don't mind, could uh, how, how do you detect candida overgrowth? Yeah, so in the comprehensive stool analysis, it'll actually show okay. um, candida. So it'll be uh, shown as budding yeast in this comprehensive okay. stool analysis. Well, I guess my question was that it was just more about can you have candida and SIBO at the same time? Yes, you can. Okay. <laughs> and, then your, and then to your question would be, so let's go case by case. If someone takes the the breath test and it shows elevated levels of methane and hydrogen, uh, what do you suggest? They show both elevated levels of methane and hydrogen. Then I or either. That, I guess. Uh, sorry. I mean, just yeah. if it's considered a positive test result, yeah, positive for SIBO. So if they show positive for SIBO, that's going to include some herbal antibiotics, or the patient can do pharmaceutical antibiotics, it's going to be up to them. And there's also going to be a therapeutic diet, which is usually the low FODMAP diet. However, there are other diets for small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, such as the um, SCD diet and the GAPS diet, but I prefer the low FODMAP diet. The low FODMAP, yeah, and that's what you had me doing. And then mm -hmm. uh, for some reason, I wasn't showing much yeast or candida overgrowth in my stool test, which was interesting because I was having such signs of it and like mm -hmm. yeast infections and that kind of thing. And so um, what I liked about your approach was um, some of my my Kaiser doctors had just dismissed me and you were like, well, obviously you're having these symptoms. So why don't we also do attack it with a, the candida diet too? which was, you know, it's it's an added layer, but it made me feel like I was doing everything I could at one time. Mm -hmm. So can you explain what the candida approach is? And actually, I guess we should say um, first, what exactly the FODMAP diet, uh, what is that? So people know. Yeah, so the FODMAP diet stands for fructo-oligoro-disaccharide, monosaccharide, I forget the A and the P right now, um, but they're basically types of sugars that are fermentable by bacteria in the gut. And those fermentable or fermentable sugars will cause buildup of either hydrogen, methane, or sometimes even both, actually. And that could cause symptoms of, if you have hydrogen, diarrhea, and if you have methane, constipation. But if you have both, it could be mixed diarrhea or constipation. And what is the approach with the diet? Do you do eliminate different foods all at once? Is it a process? What do you prefer? Yeah. 
Yeah, so I like to eliminate all um, FODMAPs at once um, for four weeks in combination with uh, naturopathic herbs, or it could be pharmaceuticals. And then we slowly add in um, types of FODMAPs uh, in a very strategic way so that we see what FODMAPs the patient is sensitive to. Can you give a few examples of some of the top trigger foods for um, people with SIBO? Yeah, that they would be avoiding have... a FODMAP. Yeah. Yeah, so garlic is a really big one. Another one's going to be cruciferous vegetables, so like broccoli, cauliflower. There's going to be really big. And then one thing that I'm actually seeing in a lot of patients right now is almonds. That's really interesting to mm-hmm. me. When people have a lot of almonds, they get gas and bloating when they have SIBO. Ooh, I feel yep. like you were dealing with that, right? Yeah, that's what I loved about finding the FODMAP approach was that it was none of the foods that I thought it was. It was like... And, and maybe to people, it, it can sound really overwhelming, but when you've spent years trying to find a solution or an answer and you find out like, oh, you know, because a lot of people go, you're eating a ton of vegetables that is healthy, but if you have a gut issue, it's not like certain healthy foods might really exacerbate the problem. So I was realizing I was eating a lot of cruciferous. I was eating a lot of nuts. These are all healthy, good foods, but when you have a gut issue, you do have to eliminate them as well as alcohol, right? That's a big one. Yes, that's a big one too. That was a challenge, but also onions, right? I think that's a pretty that was a pretty onions. major one. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just curious for somebody going through a protocol like this, and Rai, obviously you can speak to it because you've done it. How do you create a realistic plan of action for somebody that doesn't feel super daunting? Because it is removing a lot of foods that, especially when you go out to eat, can be hard to avoid. So like onion and garlic, I feel like that's used in in every dish when you go, especially to like an Italian restaurant. So is there a way to kind of approach it in a more lifestyle way? Or is it just kind of seeing it like, okay, this is a therapy. It's for a period of time. You're healing your gut. Just be really strict. And once you come off of it, you'll be able to introduce more of a variety of foods. Yeah. So it's going to be the latter that you said. When a patient comes into me for IBS and there's possible SIBO root cause involvement, I like to tell them, hey, this is what the treatment is going to look like, but we're still going to wait for testing. But there's a diet called a low FODMAP diet, and I want you to look over it to really settle in with it because for four weeks, that's an option that we might have to look into. And I like to recommend that people actually get a specific type of app to help them see what FODMAP foods or low FODMAP foods are available for them. It's called the Monash University app, and it's really user-friendly. It's really great. It's helped out a lot of my patients. And honestly, it's very life-changing, the low-FODMAP diet, because it's so hard to eat out with friends. It's hard to do things. And it's really, yeah, it's just a therapeutic diet that it's, it's just really great for SIBO. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've done an elimination for my migraines before. And I think when you are so desperate and you're so, you know, bloated or uncomfortable and you're going through this process, it's like eating out really isn't that fun anyway, because you feel sick after you go out every single time. And I know, Rai, you'd be doubled over in pain after social events. So knowing that it's a period of time and you could feel better long term. And then you've been able to introduce so many foods back in that you weren't eating at that point. Yeah. I'm going to do more in the the intro to this episode. I'm going to do 
a deeper dive on my my experience, so I'll go more into that for sure. But it is a process, and I did appreciate working with you. That you know, it was right before New Year's Eve, and I was like, "There's, I'm sorry, I've got Christmas stuff coming <laughs> up. There's just, I'm not going to be able to 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 follow this right now." And so we yeah. decided to start after the New Year, and that was the perfect period of time. And so you're not guilting me into like it has to be tomorrow, but it is figuring out when works best with your schedule and knowing like this is important that you pick this four week period that you're really, really taking this seriously because you're the only one that's really going to benefit from it. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that was really helpful. And and then on the candida side of things, can you explain what some symptoms might look like related to an overgrowth of candida? Yeah. So with over, candida overgrowth, this could be some gut symptoms. So there's going to be gas and bloating, which is also seen in SIBO. There's going to be changes in bowel movements. So can, people can experience some constipation or diarrhea, which is also seen in SIBO. Um, but patients also experience symptoms beyond the gut. So there's going to be acne. There's going to be uh, um irritability, mood swings, some people are going to experience rashes, um, some individuals experience chronic yeast infections. So the thing with SIBO is mainly manifested as gut, while the thing with candida, it's gut plus things beyond the gut. Yeah, I think I had itching in my ears as well. Um, and so as well as yeast infection, so it was just very blaring. And then, so that was part of also my protocol. So what would a candida diet look like? So the anti-candida diet is basically a low-sugar diet, very low. You can't really have fruits. You can't have uh, fermented foods. You can't have bread. You can't have sweets. You can't have a lot of things, but you can have whole grains. You can have meats. You can have some vegetables, um, but it's basically what the, what this diet does is that it starves the candida to prevent further growth. And that in combination with specific types of supplements is going to eradicate the candida. Yeah, because I know that candida obviously feed off of sugar. And mm-hmm. I I have a sugar cleanse that I've actually had some people. It's not a candida cleanse, so I don't want to say that. But I've definitely had people who have had candida symptoms go on the cleanse and have great results from it. And to see their skin, you know, kind of clearing up, to see those um symptoms reduced. And I think that just goes to show how powerful it is to reduce the um, inflammation created by this over sugar diet that we are all a part of because of the food industry in many ways. I agree. Yeah. And it's also, I think a lot of people don't understand maybe until you go through something like this, how much sugar are in things that you don't consider high sugar foods. So are there some common foods that aren't like fruit or actually why don't why why don't I ask it this way what are some foods that you would suggest people eat to reduce this sort of inflammation and maybe help 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 the gut that's a big question but like maybe just (laughs) focusing more on gut healthy foods yeah definitely so for the general population some gut healthy foods are going to be a it's going to honestly be a food or a plant-focused diet, basically an anti-inflammatory diet. So it's going to have um, fruits, vegetables, uh, and focusing on red and purple vegetables because they have the highest amount of antioxidant capacity. You want to focus on dietary um, food or dietary fiber, at least 20 grams of fiber daily. That's going to be really helpful for the gut. So fiber uh, is going to be broken down by gut bacteria. So for the general population with 
healthy gut bacteria, the uh, gut bacteria is going to break down the dietary fiber and cause the production of short-chain fatty acids. And those short-chain fatty acids then feed the gut cells for healthy gut function. It's it's really great. And there's also going to be the uh, reduction of inflammatory foods with that. So it's going to be reduction of dairy, excess sugar intake, excessive alcohol intake. And for some individuals, gluten might be an option to look into uh, avoiding. Got it. Yeah, those are that's really helpful. I also just wanted to mention, and I don't know if you've heard of this, but I actually just came across this food delivery website called Epicured, and it's gut-friendly, low FODMAP, and gluten-free mm. meals delivered, and they do it nationwide. So That's cool. So Wish I had that. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I actually have a client right now who has SIBO and has been told to go on the FODMAP diet, and she's really overwhelmed. And so I did a bunch of digging for her and I came across this site and they actually have a lot of really amazing foods. Like I don't have SIBO and I would order off of this website. There's tons of healthy options, lots of variety, all different types of cuisine. So I think having some resources like that and maybe going on Instagram and typing in the hashtag FODMAP diet, you know, there's a lot of Instagram accounts out there with people following FODMAP or Candida and, you know, creating easy to follow recipes. So I think I just like to make the point that, yes, it is challenging and it can be difficult, but there are ways to do it that fit in your lifestyle and that you can cook delicious, healthy meals and not feel like you're missing out, you know, while you're on this protocol. Definitely. Yeah, I'm looking at this website right now and they have some really delicious food. Right? Yeah, it's it's great. <laughs> they have like Indian curries and Thai dishes. I mean, there's a, there's yeah. a lot of variety. So and there's a code too. I think, after your first order. I think uh, the key is really focusing on, and that's what you do, is focusing on what you can have. And even if it's a narrow list, it's like, again, it's just getting in that mindset of, okay, what is it worth exactly. for this period of time? And you get answers, the the process of, of bringing, being able to bring back foods in. And I think for anybody, if you don't know, if you've got gut issues, this episode is going to be focused on gut. So, you know, if you're listening to this, maybe you are struggling with gut issues. Maybe you've done some of these tests and you don't know exactly what it is. I think for anyone, just that process of eliminating things and like tracking how you feel and checking in with a functional doctor and doing all of that is so key so that you can move forward and get over it. Like if you find out you can't have something, you get over it because mm-hmm. you realize there's something else that that you actually can have more of that you thought was, you know, there's always yeah. – there's always little wins in here too. And typically Definitely. it's not that you're that you react to that whole list of foods. There's yeah. usually just a few yeah. key things that you're really sensitive to, at least in the experience I've had with myself and working with clients. I'm actually curious with you, Dr. Bryant, do you find that people either on candida diets or FODMAP diets are able to introduce in a lot introduce back a lot of the foods that were triggers? And how does that kind of reintroduction phase look for them? Yeah, so with the low FODMAP diet, the anti-candida diet, it's eliminating a lot of foods. And from what I've seen is that dairy, for some individuals, they can actually have it. So during that reintroduction phase, uh, we basically put it in for, we put it back into the diet for three days. If a patient gets really severe symptoms on day one, we basically say, hey, you're pretty sensitive to it and it's up to you to take it out of your diet, but you know how you're feeling from it. However, during those three days, if a patient um, doesn't have any severe reactions or any uh, flare-ups to their gut at all, like with gas bloating or diarrhea or constipation, it means that they can have that food. 
And I am surprised that there are some patients who can actually have dairy. It is really cool to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is cool. I, and for me, I always assumed it was gluten, like stayed away from it, didn't have any bread. And then through this process, I found out that's not a problem at all for usually, me. Usually do so really bread well is back it. in my life and I'm so happy. I mean, I know that for a lot of people that can't have bread, that's maybe not a great thing to hear, but you know, maybe you can have something that I can't. So, yeah. um, but yeah, yeah, I think, I think there are wins, wins in that too. Uh, but I'd love to know, and we'll get away from just the SIPO focus because I know this is my experience and I don't want to just hog this conversation because there's so many conditions that people are experiencing. But I did want to just bring to light that for me, take uh, drinking something like uh, kombucha was creating a horrible stomach problem. And you mentioned fiber is really important for healthy gut. But then with that disclaimer, right, that people with SIBO and maybe leaky Leaky gut. Is it is it true that fi- too much fiber can actually backfire, and you need a specific kind of probiotic as well? That is true. So if if somebody does have SIBO, there's there are certain types of fibers which are basically FODMAPs uh, that can cause gas and bloating in those individuals. And you, it is recommended that you do get a really high quality probiotic t- during the whole entire treatment process to ensure that your gut has a healthy amount of bacteria, good bacteria over bad bacteria. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And I know there's mm-hmm. a difference between soil and uh, what What would be the other? Soil-based probiotics. There's soil, yeah. and then there's uh, spore-based. Spore. There's, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So how does one determine, speaking on probiotics, what probiotic is best for them? Because I do find that that is extremely overwhelming and there are so many out there, even for somebody that doesn't have SIBO, it's like there's the refrigerated ones, there's the ones on the shelves, there's, uh, of course, there's ways to consume probiotics through food, through drinks like kombucha. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do we figure out what works for us? Definitely. So for a person who doesn't experience gas and bloating daily, or doesn't experience constipation or diarrhea daily, then doing food-based probiotics are going to be worth your while because the supplemental form is going to be pretty expensive. So food-based probiotics are going to be from fermented foods. So like pickles, kimchi, what's another one? Uh, Sauerkraut. Sauerkraut. I was about to say horseradish, but it's not horseradish. (laughs) (laughs) And um, for people who are experiencing some pathology, like with SIBO, um, looking into the supplemental form is going to be worth your while while you're going through SIBO treatment. So the supplemental forms, like what you said, there's going to be the shelf stable. There's going to be the refrigerated ones. And it gets really confusing when you're down the supplement aisle. So for lactobacillus, you really want to get the uh, refrigerated forms while it's spore-based or soil-based probiotics. It's okay to get as the shelf stable forms. So could you give our listeners a recommendation for somebody who does not have SIBO and then for somebody who does have SIBO? Do you have a brand that you like? Yeah. So for somebody who doesn't have SIBO, it's going to be food, honestly. Uh, But if you do want to get a really great probiotic, then looking into Jaro 
Jarodophilus is really great. Uh, they have refrigerated form. And the, if somebody is experiencing SIBO, I really like two different types of probiotics. So it's going to be one from Metagenics. Uh, they have it's their ultraflora line. So talking to your doctor is going to be worth your while about this, uh, about the ultraflora line. There's going to be an ultraflora IB, which is going to be the most intense form. And then they have uh, other forms that are a little bit less intense. And if you do have SIBO and don't treat the bad bacteria at the same time and do take probiotics, your symptoms can get worse. So talk to your doctor first. And then if you do, yeah, and if you do have SIBO and you want to get a shelf-stable one, my favorite one is going to be a spore-based one by Microbiome Labs. It's one of my favorites. Okay. And just because of you. (laughs) Yeah. And one of the things that I always, because I'm on board with food first, if you can get your nutrients from the foods that you eat, so you're not having to take 101 supplements, I think that's great. Obviously, there's certain supplements that you absolutely have to take in supplement form. So if you can get your probiotics from food, I think that's wonderful. But the place that I struggle with that is how do you know how much of these fermented foods to eat? You know, and I think that it's hard to be consistent. Like most people are probably not going to be eating sauerkraut every day. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm totally with you there. But at the end of the day, I like to tell the patients who have generally healthy gut health that it's additive. So it's just try to add in some kimchi into your dishes. Don't stress out about it because stress will actually make you that will actually cause gut symptoms. But just be mindful like, oh, hey, there's some kimchi or oh, hey, there's some pickles. I'm going to put that in my food. Um, but don't stress out about it. Yeah, and that's a good point, which brings us to our next question about the impact of stress on our gut and the link to hormones. So, um, you know, we know there are ties to adrenal issues, people living high-octane life. Can you speak to the impact of too much stress or hormone imbalances on the gut? Yeah, definitely. So... Um, let's, how am I going to talk about this one? So it's stress. Yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's stress. Uh, first, your brain perceives it. It's going to be with the hypothalamus. And then it's you, there's a message uh, that's sent to the adrenals. So that message is through ACTH. And when the adrenals are activated by ACTH, cortisol is sent out. Acute amounts of stress is really healthy, but prolonged amounts of stress is not that healthy. So prolonged uh, levels of stress will cause prolonged uh, secretion of cortisol into the bloodstream, which then slows down gut motility. When you're stressed out, the, the body does not want to digest food. It wants to find the stressor and get rid of it as soon as possible. So that kind of makes sense. So when you are chronically stressed out or have anxiety, your gut's going to slow down. That might cause symptoms of IBS. Yeah, it's like your your whole body is in that stress state where it's that just like point. clenched almost. And yeah. I, I, I can remember when I was at a high-stress job and that was the height of my gut issues and just not leaving time to, like you mentioned earlier, well, I couldn't poop at all, so that was the problem. Yeah. Um, but as you mentioned earlier, not not ever taking a lunch. Like I would just sit and eat on my computer and not taking breaks throughout the day. So, so that's super key. Um, are there any other hormone imbalances that you know of that can cause gut issues? Yeah. So there are some hormone imbalances that could lead to gut issues such as low thyroid. So when somebody experiences hypothyroidism, it basically reduces their stomach acidity, which then can cause gas and bloating. It could also slow down the gut, which could then cause constipation. So those symptoms kind of like SIBO, right? So it's really important to get that testing done. And there's some uh, 
hormone symptoms that could then arise from gut issues. So if you have dysbiosis, so basically more bad bacteria over good bacteria, that basically reduces your gut's ability to process estrogens. And so that then causes symptoms of estrogen dominance. And those symptoms could be um, hormonal or cyclical hormonal acne. It could be painful cramps. It could be um, clots in menstrual blood, like heavy periods. It could be breast tenderness. It could also be really bad PMS. And many more symptoms with estrogen dominance. So it's definitely trying to find the root cause. Yeah. And balancing hormones too mm-hmm. as another piece of this puzzle. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, I want to ask you some questions about migraines because that's something that I reference a lot and mentioned a little bit in the beginning of this episode. But I had really debilitating migraines for a lot of my childhood, but then really severely when I got into this really stressful PR job. And I had no idea that these migraines could have been related back to what I was eating. And when I did find out that that was the case, I had to go on this really strict elimination diet, which thank goodness I found it. Um, But it involved reducing physical and emotional stressors and then also being aware of my triggers because it's very much this sort of impacted um, process. So it's not just, oh, you had this one food, you're, you get a migraine. It's like, well, you maybe had this one food that was a trigger, but then you also had a really stressful day and then you didn't drink enough water and you drank a bunch of caffeine and all of a sudden you're hit with a migraine. So you kind of have this threshold. And, and once you hit that threshold, boom, you get a migraine. Other days, your threshold might be a little bit lower and you're okay. So I'm curious if you've worked with a lot of clients with migraines and are most of them surprised when they find out that there's a link between what they're eating and the pain that they're experiencing? Yeah, so I've definitely helped out a couple patients with migraines. And I do like to connect it back to the gut. And they are usually surprised by how the gut is connected to their physical symptoms. So I, I usually talk to them about foods that are high in tyramines or foods that are high in salicylates. But at the end of the day, I first like to do what you did, um, elimination diet. Mm-hmm. Is there a specific one that you use? Is there a name for it? Or is it just it's just a migraine elimination diet? Yeah, so the main one that I use, it's called the six food elimination diet. And it's basically taking out the six common allergens uh, and taking it out for at least 14 days and then bringing it back in for three days, which is very, which is kind of the same protocol for um, reintroduction for SIBO for the low FODMAP diet. Interesting. So it's only for 14 days, this mm-hmm. particular elimination. How yeah. long? How long was yours? Well, mine was four months. So it was a little bit, it was longer, but I, yeah, I actually read this book called Heal Your Headaches, the one, two, three step program. And it was a protocol Mm -hmm. in there. So it involved reducing a lot of potential trigger foods and then also reducing your stress levels, drinking more water, being aware of triggers like the changes in the pressure when you're flying on an airplane and things like that. So my elimination was longer, but I completely was able to to heal my – to get rid of those migraines, and I wasn't getting any more rebound migraines, and I was able to add in almost all of the foods that I had to eliminate, which is, again, another testament to the fact that, yes, at the time that you're doing these eliminations, it's kind of daunting, and it's hard to be as social as you were before, but once you actually find out what's causing them and you're able to keep track of all of your symptoms and kind of or all of your triggers and keep them as low as possible, it's 
really rewarding and it's game changing. It's life changing. Yeah, it really is. That's cool. And it makes me so happy when patients feel the effects of like, hey, this diet actually worked. And hey, I was really sensitive to this food before the diet and now I can eat it and they they're so much happier yeah it's 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 so (laughs) awesome I feel like I have a whole different life now I do too so grateful Mm -hmm. but I did want to give you a scenario so say somebody works with you or they've worked with a functional doctor and I've heard this from people that have talked to me about gut issues because it it's like something that people always want to talk to me about (laughs) you're the gut um, girl I'm happy to give tips but I also um don't know what to say sometimes if someone's like done everything they've done all the tests and nothing is working so in that scenario um maybe they've done the elimination diet and obviously a lot of times people don't always tell you what they're really eating maybe there's things that they're doing but what do you often find might be the missing link if they've tested they maybe they don't have something showing up on, on test results, uh, but they're still having these symptoms. What do you think it might come down to sometimes? Yeah, definitely. So when a patient comes in with all these tests and it, and they haven't gotten better, even with treatment, it makes me start to think what could be going on with their physical structure. It also makes me wonder, has their mental and emotional Um, sphere of their health been tapped into yet. Uh, A lot of people come to me with gut issues and a lot of them don't really talk about the stress or anxiety that they're experiencing. They don't really have the proper outlets to do so. Um, So when we talk about it, we start to realize, hey, we need to really focus on this other sphere of health because health is more than just physiological, you know. Mm -hmm. It's also psychological and also sociological. So really diving into those other facets is going to be really important so that you could get the whole treatment, the holistic treatment, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because uh, I, 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 it was suggested that I work with a therapist. And so do you, when you, do you make that recommendation? Do you have people that you suggest or any advice for people to find someone to talk to? Yeah, so for patients who do experience really high anxiety or just even simmering stress and don't have the proper outlet to do so, um, I do recommend that people do seek out a therapist. And there are a lot of great therapists that I refer patients to here in LA. I'm also curious what some of your protocols are for people because obviously you can help people to start Mm -hmm. to reduce the stressors in their lives and to give them some really good suggestions and takeaways to work on and to kind of implement as part of their daily routine. What are some of your favorites that you see really working well with your clients? Yeah, so it's going to be a lot of foundational stuff. So diet and lifestyle. So diet is going to be really important to help with stress levels and and healthy adrenal function. So making sure you have adequate blood sugar levels throughout the day. So it's going to be having a complex carbohydrate um, with a protein to ensure that blood sugar levels are pretty much stable or to have a meal if you're a grazer, to have a meal every three hours to make sure blood sugar levels are stable. Um, And then there's also going to be the lifestyle aspects. So hanging out with your friends, do things that you love, make sure you have a really good support group, but also exercise and also find some time to just for yourself, um, go on a hike, do some meditation, just basically do things that you love, get off your phone. Don't go on Instagram sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, truly delete the app. I know. We gotta get off our phone. <laughs> 
It's so easy to do, honestly. You just delete it for a day or two and realize how much you get done. Log back in. Yeah. <laughs> if you can, if you can. I know some people have to be on there all the time. But um, I did want to ask, too, about IV vitamin therapy, which is something that yeah. you administer as well. Can you explain mm-hmm. uh, what it does and, and how it works? Yeah, basically. Yeah, definitely. So IV vitamin therapy is getting IV or vitamins straight into the bloodstream. So when you take things orally, it gets absorbed through the gut cells and ends up in the thing called portal circulation. That's basically the blood vessels surrounding the gut or the intestines. And all of those blood vessels then funnel into the liver and those nutrients that end up in the liver get detoxified. So you're going to get a small percentage into the actual um, circulation beyond the liver into your cells, to other cells beyond the gut. So with IV micronutrient therapy or IV vitamin therapy, you get a much larger amount to your cells so you could achieve um, cellular or optimal cellular performance much quickly compared to oral supplementation. When, in what scenario would you really recommend that? Like what symptoms might someone be experiencing that you would recommend that for? Definitely. So I usually recommend IV vitamin therapy for people who show frank nutrient deficiencies when they need a boost um, or when people have really severe gut issues. So for people who have Crohn's or ulcerative colitis or um, irritable or I'm sorry, not irritable, uh, inflammatory bowel disease, they can't really absorb much nutrients from their food and they really benefit from IV vitamin therapy. But for some people, like what I said, for healthy individuals who just need a boost, Getting that IV drip is going to be really helpful, especially for immune function or just energy or hydration, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Energy. I Yeah, mm-hmm. I am such a huge fan of um, – I need to come see you for a drip, but I am such yeah. a huge fan of these drips now because I tell you, I used to be really skeptical because they can cost a pretty penny depending on what combination you do, but – I have been on the brink of like a terrible flu going into a trip like my Italy trip and just feeling desperate to not come down with the flu. And after having one drip that was a mixture of all these different vitamin infusions, like heavy doses of vitamin C and glutathione, which really helps us detoxify your liver, I just felt 10 times better. I felt like a new human. And now every time I'm coming down with something, I go get one and it drastically makes a difference. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of patients have told me the same thing. And it's interesting. Um, so when doctors are not able to provide IV vitamin therapies, they they do the oral therapy, which we spoke about. Mm-hmm. And for people when they're experiencing like a cold, it's usually like a thousand milligrams of vitamin C three times a day. Um, but when you compare that to an IV, you get that bolus of vitamin C. So you don't have to take all of those pills, which makes it more convenient for some individuals. Yeah. It's great because sometimes when you're in a bind like that, like you're getting sick or you're feeling down, you can't always think of what to do. So this is a good thing to remind people. If you can, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, it is a worthy investment depending on what you need to get done oh and where you're goodness. at. And uh, especially for these gut disorders like um, the inflammatory bowel disease. I did want to ask for someone that maybe hasn't yet been diagnosed for something, if it is more inflammatory or a nutrient deficiency like Crohn's or it is, you know, bacterial overgrowth or fungus overgrowth like SIBO or CIFO or Candida overgrowth. Uh, What are some other resources that you might Uh, Maybe someone can't get to a functional doctor right now. Uh, What are some other resources you might recommend for people to learn more and kind of maybe start getting some signs of what it could be to help them narrow it down? 
obviously we don't yes. want people self-diagnosing, but I think um, research can be really helpful so that you can even go into an appointment with a functional doctor or a doctor knowing a little bit about what you what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of great podcasts out there. And my favorite one is Heal Thyself by Dr. Christian Gonzalez. He's a naturopathic doctor out in Venice. And his podcast is super functional, super great, super informative. And you learn lots of information from that podcast. But beyond that, there's also some really great functional medicine doctors out on Instagram who just post a lot of informational um, or educational content. Um, so there's going to be Dr. Carrie Jones. Uh, she focuses on hormones from a functional perspective and natural uh, natural perspective is going to be Dr. Jess, uh, Dr. Jess MD. She is a um, integrative medical doctor out of Encinitas. Uh, she does mold. It's She does a lot of mold treatment, a lot of these stuff infections. It's really cool to really learn about it because that's when I realized that a lot of patients who might have IBS and are not responding well to SIBO or SIFO treatment, they could have stealth infections like mold or EBV. And I learned that from Dr. Jess. She is really cool. Oh, wow. And then there's a, yeah. And then there's um, a plateful health. She is, uh, she is a British doctor who currently lives in San Francisco and her whole entire thing is food as medicine. She is super cool. And there is a, a PhD, um, Ali, her Instagram handle is empowered autoimmune and she is a wealth of information. She uh, goes through so much research and if you go to um, her posts you see the actual uh, research she like does the citations gives you the facts for certain things about like health conditions nutrients foods Great. super awesome yeah and a really good website that I like to refer to myself is NDNR the naturopathic doctor news and review uh, there's a lot of uh, information on nutrients and conditions and how to treat conditions with nutrients and supplements on that website Wow. Thank you so much. Yeah. Podcasts are such an awesome, fun way to get this kind of information. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. speaking of resources, you're an incredible resource. Yes. On Instagram, (laughs) you host so many don't... We are so sorry for the abrupt ending to this episode. The power and Jess's entire neighborhood shut off (laughs) while Dr. Bryant was mid-sentence. Very dramatic. We could not get it restarted for the rest of the day. But luckily, we were basically at the last question. So we are just going to wrap it up now by sharing where you can find Dr. Bryant if you're interested in working with him or following him on social. He posts lots of helpful educational content and he does some really fun live uh, Instagrams as well. So go to dr.bryant, which is D-R-B-R-Y-A-N-T, which is a great handle that he managed to score, by the totally. way. And you can just click on his link tree to book an appointment, schedule a vitamin drip with him if you're in LA, read his blog, among many other things. Yeah, he's such a wealth of knowledge. So if you're enjoying our podcast so far, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a positive review so we can keep on bringing guests that you want to hear from and grow this community. We also encourage you to take a screenshot of the episode and tag us on your Instagram stories at Solo 2.0 Podcast so we can share it as well. Yeah, thank you for listening. And remember, even if nothing feels right today, you tuning into this podcast and opening your mind is enough. Change doesn't happen overnight, so be patient and kind to yourself and good things will come. See you next time.